You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, good afternoon, 12 o'clock. How we doing, man? <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, some of you know I love having a beard, man. Um, and when the time of year rolls around where I have to shave off my beard, man, it feels like having a pet put to sleep. Um, because, you know, I encourage men to grow beards. Be- beards are both biblical and manly. And so all of you men who have wives that love for you to have a beard, uh, may God bless your godly woman. Uh, but my wife, uh, she uh, does not like me having a beard. And so uh, Valentine's Day rolled around and I cut off my beard. And you know why? Because I want my lady to know that uh, she's way more important to me than my freedom to have a beard. You know, she's cool. She lets me have it throughout much of the year, but she uh, don't, don't clap for this, okay? We don't want to encourage this at all. But so um, I wanted her to know that she's real important. She's of utmost importance to me. So I, I shaved it off, you know. And let me just say this without giving you too much information. I was blessed in my marriage, man. I mean, things, things went really well for me after shaving my beard. And it was, it was, it was a blessing for me, you know. And if, if, if that's true in our relationships with our spouse, don't you think that's also true with God is that he's a great God who loves his kids and loves to bless us. And so he wants us to show him that he is the very highest of priorities in our lives. He wants to be numero uno, number one in our lives. And so um, I want you to think about this for just a second. As you think about your life, are you asking God to restore a particular area of your life. For some, maybe it's your career or finances, or some of you are looking to be restored in a relationship with a family member or maybe your kids. Some are uh, trying to be restored from getting over some type of an addictive behavior. Others have been far away from God, and you've kind of sheepishly come back to church to try and uh, get back that relationship that you had with God at one time and be restored in that. Well, what we're going to show you today is a principle from the Scriptures that is at the foundation of restoration in your life, and it'll affect your whole life. So uh, here's the principle as I learned it from another pastor who is really profound and a best-selling author. His name is Robert Morris, the pastor of the Gateway Church in Dallas, and he wrote a book called The Blessed Life. And here's what he says in this book. When God is first, everything in your life comes in order. When God is first, everything else in your life comes in order. Now, that doesn't say that when God is first, the rest of your life works out the way you want it to. You know what I'm saying? But it says... Uh, that all the rest of your life is in order. And the idea of putting God first is not some novel idea. It's not some sexy or complex idea, but it is important. Um, You know, nobody's going to leave the service today and say, that one idea of putting God first, I'd never heard that before. I mean, that is so unique. But the people who understand that idea and the people that actually live that idea out are far and few between. It's the minority of people that actually put God first uh, in their lives to see that order happen. And at the heart of uh, the City Church downtown story, our tribal story, we see all these parallels between our story and the story of the Old Testament Bible character named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is a guy, in case you're new to studying the Bible, He's kind of known for restoring his whole city. I mean, physically the walls and also 
the hearts of the people as they, he called them back to putting God first in their lives. And so what principle is Nehemiah going to reestablish to restore his city? We're going to see the answer to that question is Nehemiah has to confront some pastor religious leader types in his city. In Nehemiah chapter 13, look at verses 11 through 14. It says, so I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them, them at their posts. And then look what happens in the next sentence. He says, all Judah brought the, what's that word? Tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil into the storerooms. And then a few verses later, he says, remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. And so one of the first things that he reestablishes is the tithe to, to, to restore the city. But look at Nehemiah 10, 35. He says, we also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the, say that word with me, first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. And so these two concepts, tithe and first fruit, are married together. They go together. And one of the first things that Nehemiah does to restore the, the physical uh, walls of the city and to restore God first to the city of Jerusalem was he restores the first fruit tithe. And there's a ripple effect in the lives of the people. Now, one of the things about Nehemiah's story um, is that the, the, the order, in order to restore the city, he had to correct the minister, pastor, leader types. Um, and that's the part that was a little uncomfortable for me because what I realized last year was that uh, this story is also similar to my story with God in that I had to be corrected by God as it pertains to the first fruit tithe. And I had two options. I could uh, obey God and be willing to talk about the clear teaching of Scripture regarding the first fruit tithe, or I could be a coward because I don't like to talk about money in church and not say anything about one of the most foundational principles that will lead to restoration in your whole life. Because where your treasure is, the Bible says, there your heart will be also. And that's why our treasure is so instrumental in the way that we're affected in our faith and God. So um, I'm choosing God first. That's my choice. And uh, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks of me or says. Uh, I'm going to choose God first. And part of the reason that I think Nehemiah felt so strongly about this first fruit tithe thing is because he knew the history of the people of God. And every Jewish man of that day would have known the story of Cain and Abel. Now, if you've not read that story, Cain, these two brothers, Cain and Abel, and Cain was a farmer. He raised crops, right? And his brother Abel, Abel was uh, raised livestock. He was a rancher. So what happened was these two brothers brought an offering to God. And Cain, since he was a farmer and raised crops, he brought some of his crops to God as an offering. And then Abel brought uh, one of his farm animals to God as an offering. And what the Bible says is that God accepted Abel's offering and he rejected Cain's offering. So that begs the question, why is it that God would accept Abel's offering and not accept Cain's offering? What was the difference? I mean, they both brought from what they had. Well, the answer to the question is in Genesis 4, 3 through 5, uh, and it says this, and in, look at this phrase, in the process of time, 
it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground of the Lord. Abel also brought the, say that word, firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. And so we know from the story that Cain was jealous of his brother because God accepted his brother's offering. So Cain went and killed his brother Abel. And then we have the answer to partially why um, Cain's offering was not accepted in that phrase in the process of time. See, it indicates that some time had passed. Cain made the offering when he got around to it. In fact, if you look later on in the Bible, in the little book of Jude in the New Testament, you would see that the way of Cain is the way of greed. And the reason for that is because Cain didn't bring his very first to God, but he kind of God gave God when he got around to it. It wasn't the highest priority, but it's just like, eh, whenever. I'll take care of myself first. I'm first and then God can be second. Abel, on the other hand, gave his firstborn. Remember from the story? He gave first. It's kind of like the modern day equivalent of giving the first check out of your paycheck, the first transaction out of your paycheck to God, then trusting God to provide the rest. And we know that in the rest of the Bible, if you look at Hebrews, you would see that Abel is talked about as a man of faith. His way is the way of faith because it doesn't take any faith to just uh, uh, wait and give to God after everything else that you wanted is purchased here. And here's one of the things you got to understand about God is that there's some things that God cannot do, okay? God never gets a revelation, okay? It's not, God doesn't ever say, oh, um, I never thought about that before because he knows everything, right? He never says, oh, that just occurred to me because he already knew whatever it was. He knows everything. Um, and another thing about God is that he can't be second. It's a concept called the preeminence of God. He is not designed to be second fiddle to anyone or anything. That is why he did not accept the offering of Cain. And so as I see it, you and I have two options. Will we give like Cain? Will we bring to God an offering whenever we get around to it? Or will we be people of faith who give as Abel did and trust God and be people of faith? Now, all this talk, I've been I've given this talk. This is my third time today. I've been working hard today. And all this talk about first fruits, I'm kind of hungry. And I wanted to go out to eat after church today. And I looked in my wallet and I realized I don't have any cash in my wallet to go out to eat. Oh, thank you, Freddie. <laughs> Freddie was generous enough to bring me a $20 bill. Just spur of the moment there, right? Thank you, Freddie, for your generosity. So... Um, why is it that Freddie was so eager to jump right up and give me this $20 bill? Well, you know, I think it's pretty obvious we staged the whole deal, right? And so before the service, I took a $20 bill out of my wallet. I gave it to Freddie. I gave him the cue. I said, hey, Freddie, when I say this, you bring the, you know, the, he's a generous guy. He's a great guy. But he, you, you know what he was doing here is he was eager to bring it back. And the reason is because he realized this $20 bill belongs to me. I gave it to him, but he realized it belongs to me. And that is, in a sense, the concept of the first fruit 
tithe. Let me show you this in Exodus 13, 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites, the first offspring to be born of both humans and animals. What's that phrase? Belongs to me, the Lord says. Bring the first to me. By the way, this is not talking about child sacrifice, um, in case you were wondering about that. Um, it'll, we'll, as we study the text, we'll learn that uh, firstborn children were to be redeemed. But um, why all this complicated sacrificial stuff in the Old Testament book of Exodus? We get the answer to that question in Exodus 13, 14. Look at it with me. In the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of the firstborn sons. So God is saying here, I want you to bring me the first to remind you that I'm the one that redeemed you out of Egypt. I'm the one that rescued you from your slavery. I'm the one who exercised my power to rescue you. And this first fruit tithe concept is all throughout the Bible. I want to take you to Leviticus chapter 27. Look at verse 30. It says the, what's that next word? Tenth part of all the land of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. In other words, it belongs to him. And if you fast forward to the middle part of the Bible in the wisdom literature in Proverbs, you'll see this concept in Proverbs 3, 9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the, what's the word again? First fruits of all the produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And one of the clearest books of the Bible that teaches us about the first fruits tithe concept is the Old Testament, uh, one of the latter prophets named uh, Malachi. And I want to take you to Malachi 1.8, and you'll see first fruits concept. It says, when you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And so what was going on here is that people in that day throughout much of the Old Testament would use animals or crops like we use money today, right? They didn't use paper money, all of them. That didn't have any worth. Paper, what are you going to do, burn it? So um, they, they would use crops or farm animals to pay bills, right? And so some people were taking their cull animals, like, you know, their sheep with buck teeth or the ones that didn't look very nice or were kind of scrawny or had, a, you know, had some kind of defect. They would, uh, they would give those to, you know, to the Lord as their offering. And the Lord's saying, hey, you go to your governor and try and pay with those cull animals and like that, and they'll laugh laugh you out of there, right? And they'll send you out of there and say, I'm not going to accept that. So, so what do you think God of the universe is going to accept? So you want to bring those jacked up, let your leftovers, the crap you don't want anymore, to the God of the universe who created all the cosmos? Is that what you, you, is that what you think of God? He's saying, Malachi's saying, that doesn't fly. God cannot be second. He cannot just take the leftovers. But Look what else Malachi says in chapter 3, verse 8. And here's where he gets almost borderline offensive here. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? You have not given me the, what's that word? Tenth part of what you received in your gifts. You are cursed, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. 
bring the tenth part into the storehouse. And here's the weird part. He says, test me in this, says the Lord of all. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out good things for you until there's no more need. I will speak sharp words to the destroyer for you so that it may not destroy the fruit of the ground. And your vine in the field will be sure to give its grapes, says the Lord of all. And so as I see it, again, you and I have two options. Will we rob God or will we test God, right? We know this is one of the only places in the Bible where we're told we can test God. But if we rob God, what happens is, is that the destroyer is unleashed on us. We're under a curse, see? And in those days, um, the uh, destroyer would come in the form of like an insect and eat up their crops because remember their crops was their uh, resources. And today, I think sometimes when we rob from God, the destroyer is released to eat away at our resources and our bank accounts. But then if we obey God, and that is we test God, what happens is, is not only he brings down a blessing on us, but he protects us from the destroyer that seeks to come and eat away at our crops. So these are the two options there. And I would say, don't test Pastor Doug, don't test City Church, but I would say test this concept from the Bible. And this first fruits tithe thing was practiced all throughout the Bible. In fact, I've had some people tell me, and I used to believe that tithing was not a New Testament concept. And I understand that there are certain concepts from the Jewish law in the early parts of the Bible that don't transfer to us today. And the reason is because we're under the new covenant under Jesus Christ. But this idea of first fruits tithing is all throughout the Bible. In fact, we've seen it and studied it already in the law, and it was also practiced 2,500 years before the law came into practice. We've seen it in other dispensations of time, in the latter prophets, as well as the wisdom literature, and it's also endorsed by Jesus in the New Testament in Matthew 23, 23. It's all throughout the Bible, thus is an eternal concept that continues to work. Now, I do not believe that the blessing that uh, Malachi is talking about means that everyone who practices first fruits tithe is going to get rich by our American standards. There are some people that believe in what's called a prosperity gospel. And in that thinking, God is kind of like a get rich quick scheme. And then there are other people, many in our city, who believe in what I would call a poverty gospel that completely negates all the promises of blessing from God. Neither one of these things are true. They are both errors. And I'll tell you this, in all my years of following Christ, I've never met one person, not one, who over a period of time, I'm not talking about a flash in the pan, but I'm talking about people who over a period of time have given the first fruit tithe. I've not met one person who regrets doing it. In fact, every single one of them to a person would credit God with the blessing that's come upon their life. For some of them, it's sure enough financial blessing that God has given to them. None of them have done without. All of them have had God provide what they need. They would credit God for career satisfaction, for blessing in their relationships and in their homes. And others have credited God as giving them contentment with what they have. 
This is the blessing of God. And I sometimes think about those of you that are spiritual investigators because we created this church for those of you that are kind of coming back to God or never known God or have never been to church. And I'm always so careful. And this is why I don't like to talk about money in church because I understand that some of you who are coming here, you've seen stuff on TV and read in blogs and on the internet, uh, these pastors who have taken advantage of people. And I totally understand why you would be critical of any pastor asking about, uh, you know, money or resources and all this kind of thing. Um, and I've always said, you know, I'd understand if you don't want to give anything. But, you know, this is one place in the Bible that says, test me. And I sometimes wonder now if you would tithe, whether it's at this church or some other church, if you would test God with the first fruits tithe, if you might not learn more about the reality and the existence of God in your life than you would reading hundreds of books on proofs for the faith, you know? So that's something to consider. But you know, we're not a country club here. I want you to understand that. We're not a social club. And we're not just an academic club where we're coming here to study this book and not talk about what we're going to do about it. And so here's where the rubber meets the road for you and I today are the three things I'm asking you to do. Not think, not feel good about but to do. And the first one is real clear and it's simple. I'm asking you to give the first 10% to what the Bible calls the storehouse. Other texts, it calls it the house of God. And in the New Testament, it is the church, the gathering place of the people of God, the local church. I'm not asking you to give that first tenth, that first fruits to a missionary, to a social justice mission, to the food bank, to the building fund. I'm not asking you to give your time don't, you know, donate volunteer time. All those things are good. I do all those things. I give to all those things. We promote others to do all those things here at the church, but not one of those things is equal to the first fruit tied to the storehouse. Is that clear? I hope I was, I, I gotta be clear about what I'm saying there. So if you're stealing from God, I'm asking you to stop. Now, you know me, and you know I don't like to be harsh and corrective with you because you guys are getting beat up out there, and when you come to church, I want you to be encouraged and lifted up. And that is the motivation for teaching this concept. It's because I want more than anything for you not to just know stuff about the Bible, but I want you to know and experience God. That's my heart for you. And I've seen very few other concepts from the scripture that help people to get to know and experience God than the first fruit tithe, where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart will be also. So if you would want to commit to this or recommit to this, if you've already been doing this, you received a household information card when you came in today. We only require one per household. So not everybody in the family needs to fill out this card. Just fill out one. You can drop it either here on the stage when you leave today, or you can drop it at the table in the lobby on your way out. So that was number one, the tie to the storehouse. Number two is get out of debt. Debt is killing us. Debt is killing us our personal finances. And that is the way the destroyer is working in many of our lives is through interest. So conventional wisdom would say, get out of debt first and then start doing your first fruit tithe. Well, that doesn't take much faith, does it? And then quackery would say, well, 
do your first fruit tithe and, never, and don't adjust your lifestyle at all. Just keep going to every concert and uh, sporting event you want to go to. Go buy a new flat screen TV, man. Go uh, rack up some bills on your credit card. Well, that's nutty, isn't it? Um, it's not either this or this. It's the genius of the and. Adjust your lifestyle. Stay at home. Quit overspending and give the first fruit tithe and you will watch God do something miraculous that you didn't know was possible. I've heard story after story on this. In fact, I was talking to my friend Chad Curtis not too long ago. He is a, a coach, a football coach here uh, at a school in our community and a great uh, man of God who serves God and loves God. And uh, Chad tested God with the tithe. And so we brought his story for you today. Go ahead and take a look. I knew God was calling me to, to get involved in church, go to a church. And so I had a, a friend that um, went to a non-denominational church, invited me. And that church um, was, I mean, I just felt God was calling me there. So I went and I, he'd already placed on my heart that, hey, tithing is part of that, you know, or giving a tenth is part of that. You know, once you once I plant you somewhere, trust me with your money. And so it, it wasn't hard initially. It just wasn't, it wasn't hard to, to give because he had stirred in me to do that. I believe it was summer of 2000, and I was um, going back to school um, to further my education, uh, and I budgeted that, and yet uh, there were two things I felt like, well, one thing educationally I felt like I needed, and that was a computer. Uh, because we were going to have to do chatting and some stuff that was brand new to me. I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm being drawn to the sport called golf, and it's not cheap. Um, and I had a raggedy old set of clubs, and I was more and more motivated to play. And so at the same time I'm needing, I feel like I need a computer, I'm really wanting some golf clubs. So I'm thinking in my head, if I just pause tithing for six months, I could, I was doing the math, I could, I could pay for a computer and golf clubs, and after six months I could resume tithing. I remember just a sweet conviction after doing that, and I, I don't know how many days I, I, I chewed on it, just a sweet conviction that God was saying, that's not the answer, that I can trust Him with my money, my tithe, and continue to tithe, and just trust me. The first week I had uh, a former assistant principal call me up that first week, and he said, Hey, Chad, do you have any need for a computer? Because our school is getting all new ones, and we got 10 to 15 we couldn't get rid of, and they're either going to the trash or, or we got to find a place for them. And I said, absolutely. I'm going back to grad school, and I, I need a computer. And then the very, that next weekend, I went up to play golf with my cousin, who's a scratch golfer up in, in Austin. And we played around, and he was telling me of these brand-new clubs he got. Uh, before we started, he got these brand new clubs and he won them at, a, at a, an event. So he's playing with those and he, and he saw my clubs and he said, hey, you want to play with my, my old ones here? And they were great clubs. And so we played the round and after the round, he just said, uh, I said, man, these are nice. And he says, you like them? And I said, yeah. He says, you want them? And I almost teared up then because I'd known and just a few days later, got a computer put in my lap. And now, as trivial, trivial as it is, I got a almost brand new set of golf clubs given to me. And I remember on the way home, just shedding tears, realizing that 
God's plan was I'm not going to spend a dime for the computer and I'm not spending a dime for the golf clubs. Not that that's the way it works every time, but you know, obviously that's what I needed then. I need, it wasn't about the golf clubs and the computer because they're long gone. And yet this still wells up in me every time I tell it. And so you know, he did a sweet work and, and I just haven't been the same since. So when God is first, everything else comes in order. And it doesn't matter whether it's like a computer or golf clubs or you're a person on the street that you're looking for the next meal. God knows you. You know why in Chad's story it was golf clubs and a computer? Because that was unique to him. Because God knows Chad intimately and he knows you. And he knows those things to provide for you, to show you how good of a father he is and how much he loves you and he wants to pour out blessing on you because he's nuts about you in the way that he loves you. Man, it's insane the way he treats us so well sometimes. So let's test God, trust God, number one, with the tithe. Uh, then number two, let's get out of debt. And here's the third thing. If you're already first fruit tithing, pray about how much you would like to uh, designate or, or to give above and beyond your regular tithe to what's called the Restore Fund that's used to renovate the Cameo Theater. Um, what we've realized is, is that last year when we did the fundraiser campaign for the Cameo renovations, which by the way, next week I'll bring some pictures of all the stuff we're going to do here. Um, but when we did that campaign last year, we realized we've grown as a church quite a bit, right? And so we've got a lot of new people who didn't know about that and who would like to participate in the Restore Fund. You can get a packet that gives you more information about that in the lobby on your way out if you'd like to know more about contributing towards Restore. But part of the reason many of us see the first fruit tithe as a no-brainer is because of the quality of gift that we've been given, because of the quality of the gift that we've been given. So I brought a picture today of a guy named Noel, and many of you don't know or recognize this guy, Noel, but in 1999, he gave a kidney to a sibling of his that had a disease that necessitated a transplant. And this gift of a kidney by this man, Noel, actually moved a whole city. And on March the 14th, 2000, it brought over 26,000 people to their feet. Noel's little brother not only lived through the transplant operations, but he thrived after that. In fact, uh, he had a successful pro sports career as well as a career in broadcasting. So, of course, some of you know the younger brother of Noel is this guy, Sean Elliott of the San Antonio Spurs. And in Sean Elliott's comeback to the NBA, the Alamo Dome was energy-charged that night, and his brother Noel looked up and saw these people chanting and cheering for a guy who barely made his high school basketball team, right? And they held up, a, he saw a sign up there, and it said, we love you, Noel. And he saw another and another and another all over the dome, and Noel was overwhelmed at that experience. And then when Brother Sean gets into the game, his first game back as a professional athlete, he drives by one of the Atlanta Hawks and brings down a thunder tomahawk dunk, and the dome almost exploded because people were so excited. And it was not only significant to us in San Antonio, but Sean Elliott became the first pro athlete in history to come back after a kidney transplant. 
And his comeback inspired more than just emotion. But according to the Department of Health and Human Services, they reported that a year later, organ donations has incre had increased by the largest percentage ever. Well, Sean made a full comeback, has a great life as a broadcaster. He hangs out with Spurs players and coaches. You know, he um, gets to be on TV. He uh, uh, enjoys golfing, you know. Um, he has a great life, and he jokes with his brother. He said, the kidney you gave me works so well. I mean, if I drink too much before I go to bed, I can't sleep. That You know, I, I, I get up in the night, you know. So in light of this story, let me ask you an absurd question. What if Noel came to Sean, his little brother, and said, Sean, could you give me 10% of your paycheck? What do you think Sean would say? I think Sean would probably say, man, I'll do everything within my power to give that 10% because of the quality of gift that I've been given. It's not only just life, but it's like a good life that I've been given. Now, that's almost a silly question, but you may be asking, well, what does the quality of that kidney transplant gift have to do with first fruits tithing? Well, if you go back to our guy, Nehemiah, when he reestablished the first fruits tithe, he did so on the 16th day of the Jewish month of Nisan. Okay, you didn't know Nissan was more than just a car, right? I mean, it's, it's a, Nissan is like a Jewish month. So on Nissan 16, first fruits was reestablished and celebrated. Well, then fast forward in your minds to the New Testament of the Bible, and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But Christ has been raised from the dead. The, what's that word? First fruits. We didn't say this with very much passion. Let's try it again. Uh, Christ was raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So check this out. Follow me on this. If Jesus was killed on the cross died there on the cross on Passover, which he was. Three days later, when he rose again from the dead, what day of the month is that? Nisan 16. Jesus Christ, the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn that gives you and I hope that someday we can spend an eternity with God in paradise. And God gave to you and I his very best. But you and I don't have to do anything. You don't have to first fruit tithe to get that relationship with God, to spend an eternity with him. All you can do is receive it for free as a free gift from a father that loves you. He's nuts about you and cares about you that he gave the highest quality of gifts. And so can you imagine? He's already given it to us for free for those of us that will receive it but once we've received it, then we come back to him and say, well, now that I'm your child, God, now that you've adopted me uh, with the precious blood of your son, I ain't going to give 10%. Hey, look, he gave his son. Look, if, if your eternity depended upon me being willing to, like, sacrifice and allow my only son, I got one son, if, if your eternity was, was, was based upon me being willing to give my son, forget it, Jack. You're going to hell, man. I'm sorry. I can't do it. I couldn't do it. But he gave his only son. And we're saying, what do you mean, God? 10%? Come on. I got to have the best cable package. 
10%. Are you kidding me? After the quality of gift that we've been given by Almighty God who created the universe, who keeps it in motion, who keeps our earth on its axis so that we can continue to breathe the good God that even sends rain and sunshine on those who hate him. And we would say, I'm not going to tie to you. We spit in his face and say, I'm keeping it. That's not right, is it? And perhaps we should pray before I have to take a glycerin pill. Let's bow. Lord, please forgive me. I've asked every service because it's important that our people know that I'm repenting of having in in years past been a coward and not speaking of the truth of the first fruit tithe. God, I love these people and more than anything, I want them to experience you. And God, I pray, I know that I'm among some who are robbing you. And it is your grace that you're extending to them now that they have the opportunity to turn towards you. We recognize that even though you're loving, and we love to grab that part of your love, but there are times when the discipline comes from you. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And Lord, I pray that our people would experience you as they test you and step out in faith with the first fruit tithe. We trust you the best we know how. And God, because you know how I feel about this group of people, I pray that you'd bless them like crazy. And more than anything, just show them just your heart of goodness towards them. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. And for his sake, everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.